Good morning. Welcome to Just Human number 120. No, wait, not 124. 154. I better take another sip of coffee. I saw a comment in chat that said today is cooking day. That is right. It is absolutely one of my favorite days of the year or favorite weeks of the year. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And I have like six pounds of beef short ribs going right now in the sous vide day. And the whole house is starting to fill with that smell of the food cooking. Um, as soon as I'm done with the show, I got to take over dad duty so my wife can go to her parents' house and start cooking all the pies. And uh, yeah, man, I love Thanksgiving. This is a good, this is the beginning of my favorite time of year. Although Christmas time isn't, I'm not a huge Christmas fan. Um, but I love fall and I love the winter and I love Thanksgiving. So I hope y'all are going to have a good one. And uh, I plan on getting extra fat over the weekend and hopefully feeling well enough to have a cigar. I'd really like to have some of these cigars that were gifted to me at Threadfest. Um, but my throat is still not ready for it. So good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. If you missed it, General Flynn was on with um, Patel Patriot after my show on Monday. And let me grab this right here. And yeah, if you're trying to watch, nobody's made, I don't think anybody's made a comment yet, but if you're trying to watch me on um, anywhere else, basically, it's not working right now um, because I'm using StreamYard instead of OBS. So I kind of traded one pro one set of problems for another set of problems. Um, Rumble is the place to be right now. I'll just have to troubleshoot and fix all that later. We're going to go with what we got. Um, all right, so... General Flynn was on with John Harold, a.k.a. Patel Patriot, on Monday afternoon. It was a phenomenal interview. It was uh, General Flynn and Boone Cutler. Um, they have a new book called Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare. I'm super excited to get this book and read it. It is pocket size, five by five. I am not kidding. I am not joking. This book is actually five by five. And... uh Mackie Morris here pointed out to me in the comments. It says this guide is five by five, easy to carry. And if you go to the site for it, it tells you it's a citizen's guide to fifth generation warfare session one intro to five GW, which implies there's going to be more than one book, of course. And it's pocket size five by five. <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> now there are good reasons why it might be five by five you know pocket size um less cost to print it and package it and ship it you know less weight um all of all of that kind of stuff right like that's all normal that it would be that size but for us in this community when something from General Flynn is literally five by five, it's like you don't get more overt of a QCOM than that. <laughs> so, this is awesome. Um, anyway, last I checked, it wasn't available for pre-order. As soon as pre-sale begins, post a link here. And yeah, you can't pre-order it yet. But I would... I, I'm. 
I would bookmark this site, generalflynn.com slash 5GW, if you're interested in this book. I'm super interested. If you don't know, guys, 5 by 5 means it's a... It's a air, it's a pilot term, meaning we, we get you five by five. We, uh, we, uh, we hear you loud and clear, but in the Q community, five by five is used in the drops and is used as an expression of meaning the same thing. Five by five. Do you, do you understand me loud and clear? I got you five. I get, I got you. I understand. So the fact that the book is five by five, it's like a QCOM, a very direct simple QCOM. Um, that's what, that's, what's up with that. Um, <laughs> so cool. Uh, I really liked this section right here, which touches on exactly what burning bright and I have been getting at on our show on Sunday nights. And now the whole paragraph isn't about this, but this, this, just this one sentence information regarding the war of narratives and perception being waged on our minds. Now it's saying it does that doesn't stop with the guide. Inside the guide is a special QR code that takes the reader to a link that is continually updated so that the reader can get up-to-date perspectives on fifth generation warfare related to current events and topics in our communities, etc. So the QR code on it takes you to a website that's going to be continually updated with uh, information. But that what is that information? It's information regarding the war of narratives and perception being waged on our minds. I mean Oh, oh, yes, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> so, great interview um, that Patel did with uh, General Flynn. It's on Patel's uh, Rumble. Make sure you go and check it out. Let me stop sharing that screen. Speaking of programming yourself, I'm just going to go ahead and um, please, please allow me to shamelessly plug my stuff for a moment here. Speaking of programming yourself, I got some merch over at red, white and bourbon 45.com. Um, stickers and mugs. The mugs are, are good quality. I'm drinking out. That's, that's the mug I use on every morning show is uh, one of these mugs pint glasses and stickers and koozies, but I added some new shirts and I'm pretty excited about it. I added a program yourself item right here. Shout out to Jim for the design. Everyone's trying to program you program yourself. Very happy to have that added to the store. Let's see if there's anything else over here on this. And then the other design for it. Another program yourself design. All of these entities, CNN and CBS and all the mainstream media, Twitter and social media, they're all trying to program you. Don't let them program yourself. So if you're interested in some merch, if you'd like to support the show by buying an item instead of a direct donation, red, white, and bourbon, bourbon 45.com is a great place to go. You get an item in return for your support of the show. And I really appreciate it. Something else that's new that I've added is Benson Honey Farms. And when you go to Benson Honey Farms, if you want to place an order, you can use a referral code, which is just human at checkout. And a portion of what you pay to 
get the honey products goes to me. So I've picked up, I don't know if it's a sponsorship, but I got a promo code, promo code just human at bensonhoneyfarms.com. I have used pretty much, I think I've had everything here. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I think I've, uh, the honey is awesome. The candy is my, is well, actually, I don't know really what, really know what's my favorite guys. Um, the honey's awesome and the candy is very addictive. The barbecue sauce is very good too. But I got to say, I've been using the soap and I think it's actually my favorite product that comes from Benson Honey Farms. Um, I really, really dig it. My favorite soap that they, that I've used is like this coffee one. Um, yeah. I don't know if it shows. Yeah, it doesn't show a picture of it. The coffee one, I really, really liked. Um, I mean, of course, I would. Um, but I've used coffee and vanilla mocha. I've used those, I think. Um, and then I have a couple other ones, but I haven't used. Anyway, everything at Benson F Honey Farms is stellar. And if you're interested, interested in a gift for Christmas for someone, or you just need some really good honey or barbecue sauce or whatever, or you're dirty and you need some soap, make sure you use promo code JUSTHUMAN at checkout. Okay. Done plugging myself and my products there. Well, maybe not. The other way to support the show is Just Human. No, wait. Is uh, justhuman.substack.com or buymeacoffee.com slash justhuman. Okay, now we're done with the shameless plugs. Let's get to something really, really important. Super important. Right here. Let me get this ready. This might be the most important thing I present today. Here we go. Okay. I apologize. That was perfect. I'm breaking all the rules. I'm breaking all the rules. Well, I guess uh, we might make some mistakes. Who knows? I think one of the biggest problems we have in D.C. is that everyone's egos are too big. I, I actually just prefer to have no titles at all. You're opening yourself up. I'm just being me. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And Elon agrees. Elon loves AOC. What a time to be alive. I love it. And Elon also showed something else. Let me grab this. Okay, I'm liking I'm liking StreamYard for some things, but there sure are a lot of extra clicks I gotta go through to put something on screen. Um <clears throat> Elon found a closet full of stay woke and Democrat shirts. Um 
What are these ones on the bottom? You belong. I think those are Democrat shirts, but I'm not sure. I know that those this gray one right here is. No, those are Twitter shirts. Twitter, you belong something. But uh, yeah, Elon posted this video of all these uh, wacky leftist shirts that he found within Twitter headquarters. And I think it's hilarious. I, I wonder, I like how Elon, like it's like every day there's some absurdity that has to do with Twitter that Elon is revealing to us. It's just this increment incremental pulling back of the veil and everything that we thought about Twitter and how it was being run is being confirmed. I, abs I absolutely love it. I'm so glad that Elon did in fact buy Twitter. Um, he is making Twitter great uh, for the first time. I don't know if I should say again, uh, work in prog, very much a work in progress, but he'll get there. I have no doubt about that. Thank you for the rumble rant. JC bird. Um, JC bird. I saw you at Threadfest. As you know, we waved to each other and I kept trying to find you later on so I could meet you and I never found you again. So, Thank you very much for all the support that you give, man. And I'm really sorry that we didn't get to have a chat at Threadfest. I looked for you several times, but I, we just never crossed paths again. Um, but God bless you, man. Thank you very much. And T. Gigioli, Gigioli, what, 58. Thank you very much for the Rumble rant. Defected was very good this week, as usual. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, I'm really enjoying Defected. It's, it's going very, very well. And it's a lot of fun. And we're getting a lot of support for it. I really appreciate it. All right, next thing. It's Donald Trump, speaking of Twitter, Donald Trump is, uh, you know, just chilling on truth, doing what he does. And meanwhile, over at Twitter, Elon's like, yo, your account's active and the libs are going mad. But Donald Trump's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm just chilling over here on truth. All good. Happy where I'm at. When blue sky comes around, things are really going to catch on fire. Because then he's going to be posting on both. All right, let's get to something that is actually really big news. I'm not teasing you about this one. Huh. SCOTUS has denied Trump's bid to prevent the House Ways and Means Committee from obtaining his tax returns. Nobody descended or dissented. The brief uh, order may end years of litigation over the committee's efforts to review the tax records of Trump. And if you guys probably know, Donald Trump famously did not give his tax returns over Um you know, tons of other presidents in the past, like, I don't, mean, I don't know if it's like the past five presidents have made their recent tax returns available. I know that Joe Biden did his like 2020 or 2021 tax returns. He made that available. Um, he hasn't made all of his tax returns available. But Trump famously did not. And so there's been this effort to try and get his tax returns that has played out over the years. And it is completely 100% an orchestrated battle from Trump's perspective where he's trying to make them go after 
his tax returns. Um, it's totally what he wants to have happen. Trump wants, this is what Trump wanted. This is what you need to understand. Trump wanted this to go all the way to SCOTUS, and he wanted SCOTUS to declare in a ruling that the House Ways and Means Committee could obtain his tax returns. This is ex- this right here is actually a win for Trump. This is what he wanted because precedent. It sets the precedent so that when some other president is like, you can't see my tax returns. Trump did it before me. You can't see my tax returns. They can point back and be like, nope, SCOTUS has ruled that they actually can see your tax returns. And if you want proof that I am not spinning this to be something good when it's not, Trump tells you right here. Why would anybody be surprised that the Supreme Court has ruled against me? They always do. It is unprecedented to hand to be handing over tax returns, and it creates terrible precedent for future presidents. And then he says, has Joe Biden paid taxes on all the money he made illegally from Hunter and Hunter and beyond? The Supreme Court has lost its honor, prestige and standing and has become nothing more than a political body with our country paying the price. Yada, yada, yada. They refused to even look at the 2020 election hoax. Shame on them. That's all just noise. The real signal of this is that this is what he wanted. He wanted this precedent set so that they could get so that future presidents would have their tax returns looked at. And so that Joe Biden will have more of his tax returns looked at. It's absolutely a game that Trump is playing and he won. This is a total win for him, but it will be characterized as something else. And he's totally fine with that. That's part of the game. All right. Next thing in the Mar-a-Lago raid case. pull that up and want to grab it's right here I'll show I'll show this first first um the special counsel the DOJ has filed in the Mar-a-Lago raid case uh to alert judge Cannon that hey special counsel Jack Smith has being is being added to this because he's been named by Merrick Garland as a special counsel and he'll be part of the uh pleadings going forward And that includes his his letter right here. This is his authorization letter, which has since been added to the announcement on DOJ. Last I checked, there hasn't been a website created for Special Counsel Jack Smith. Um, like there is one for Durham, but I'm going to keep checking on that. But it, this is his authorization. We'll jump into this here. In a, well, I might as well do it now. Okay. Yeah, I might, I might as well get into this now. So this is what Jack Smith is specifically authorized to look into. Point special attorney pursuant to yada yada. You are authorized to, to conduct in any judicial district proceedings necess- necessary to one, 
this is the first part, conduct the ongoing investigation into whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with efforts to interfere with the lawful transfer of power following the 2020 presidential election or the certification of the Electoral College vote held on or about January 6, 2021, as well as any matters that arose or might arise directly from this investigation or that are within the scope of 28 CF, uh, CFR 600.4. That's basically like in the like if you're in the process of investigating this, people lie to you or obstruct or anything. It's like broad powers to to uh, indict somebody with that kind of stuff. So first part of what he has been charged with investigating and bringing charges where appropriate is January 6th, the electoral efforts to interfere with the electoral college vote and the certification of the electoral college and interference with the lawful transfer of power following 2020 presidential election. Now, here's where my mind goes. The people that tried to interfere with the transfer of power and with the Electoral College vote and set up January 6th and who ran a coup against Donald Trump and against against his administration in order to try and frame him for January 6th are the same people that are involved with the 2020 steal. So if he's investigating this, he is going to naturally, I believe, end up at least gathering evidence on the same people who were involved in the 2020 steal. So, it's not, I can't say that he is actually investigating the 2020 election. He's investigating what happened after the 2020 election, between the 2020 election and January 6th. But the people involved with trying to interfere with that transfer of power and the people involved with trying to interfere with the Electoral College vote tie back to the people who stole the election. <coughs> And I'm not talking about the same people that the media at large are talking about, where they they are saying that, well, Mark Meadows and Mike Pence and Donald Trump and his friends were trying to interfere with the Electoral College vote because they wanted to object to slates of electors. No, that's all lawful. That's completely lawful. I'm talking about the people who set up an illegal coup against Donald Trump and tricked MAGA into going into the Capitol and interfering with the Electoral College vote and interfering with the objections. And the people who tried to frame Trump for starting the January 6th riot and all, I mean, all of that stuff, all the stuff that has to do with January 6th and all the stuff that has to do with what happened between January 6th and November vote. So, that's his first task. That's his first assignment. His second assignment as special counsel is to conduct the ongoing investigation referenced and described in the United States response to motion for judicial oversight and additional relief, Donald Trump versus United States. That is the Mar-a-Lago raid case. That is this case right here. That's the case with the special master and the filter team and this case that I wrote the templates article about and all of that stuff. So he is 
not he is to conduct that ongoing investigation as well as any matters that arose or may arise directly from this investigation. Now, one thing that's pretty interesting is that this investigation was already advanced enough. It was based out of a grand jury. It was predicated on um, an affidavit. And then they had three areas of charging. They were looking at, if you recall, it was, do I have it pulled up over here? I don't have it pulled up there. So it's a, uh, it's the Espionage Act, it's obstruction, it's destruction of documents, um, things like that, the classified documents, all that stuff. So he's now taking over that case, but as we had looked at previously, um, and as I talked about, let me find, I thought I had it pulled up over here. Uh, it's not that one. Here, I have it in bookmarks. Not that. Here, hold up. I thought I had it pulled up right there on that screen. Let me let me go find it. That it, that it, that investigation was already advanced enough that they were getting pretty close to likely bringing charges against someone. Let me open this up or someone's. Remember, Cash Patel had been immunized and, uh, well, not immunized. Cash Patel had been granted a limited immunity agreement or cooperation agreement or whatever so that he would come in and answer their questions after he had previously pled the fifth. They've interviewed a whole bunch of people and the investigation was at the point that they were, we were starting to get articles like this from Washington post and others saying, yeah, actually it was just Trump's ego that led him to keep all these records and not money. He wasn't trying to sell these classified papers or anything like that. He just kept them out of his own ego because that's who he is. And these are all excuses that were leaked to the media by anonymous sources and the end result, the real meat of what the, the sources were saying was FBI interviews with witnesses so far, they said also do not point to any nefarious effort by Trump to leverage, sell or use the government secrets. That's Trump clear right there. This article is from November 14th, the day before, I believe the day before Trump announced he was running for president. They were already starting to prep the ground with, yeah, this guy's not going to be indicted. And then special master, or then the special counsel is appointed, and now he's taking over that case. And I have something interesting to read, but you guys got to put a filter on for it. You got to put a filter on, okay? Because this is coming from a lefty. So prep your mind that this is a lefty and uh, they're portraying it from their point of view and Trump is a bad guy and everybody around Trump is a bad guy. So just have that filter on. But that doesn't mean they don't make some salient observations. So this is Empty Wheel who does do some decent research 
Um, but like I said, is opposite side of the aisle. All right. So what she writes is when when he announced the appointment special counsel yesterday, Merrick Garland described that recent developments, plural, led him to conclude that he should appoint Jack Smith, the special counsel to oversee the investigation of Donald Trump. Quote, the Department of Justice has long recognized that in certain extraordinary cases, it is in the public interest to appoint a special prosecutor to independently manage an investigation and prosecution. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate, I have concluded that this is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. The recent developments he focused on were presidential. Trump's announcement that he'd run again and Joe Biden's stated plan to run for election. But he also described the basis for the appointment not as a conflict. Republicans and Trump are describing the investigation by Biden appointee as his chief rival, but as an extraordinary circumstance. Unsurprisingly, Garland never named Trump as the reason for the appointment. The only time he referenced Trump, he referenced him. um, He referred to him as the former president. That's DOJ policy. When he described the subjects of the January 6th investigation, he included both any person, but also any entity that interfered in the transfer of power. Quote, the first, as described in court filings in District of Columbia, is the investigation into whether any person or entity unlawfully interfered with the transfer of power following the 2020 presidential election or the certification of the Electoral College vote held on or about January 6, 2021. The scope of the January 6th investigation that Smith will oversee is far broader than Trump and will almost certainly lead to the indictment of multiple people in addition to Trump. Fat chance. If it does include Trump, people like Jeffrey Clark, John Eastman, and possibly Mark Meadows. Now, I don't believe that any of these people are going to be indicted with the exception of possibly Jeffrey Clark. He's on my sus list. But like I said, put your filter on for this person. But if we assume that everyone who has had their phone seized in that investigation is a subject of it, remember all those phone seizures that happened a couple months ago related to the Jan 6 investigation? What was it, like 30 or 50 subpoenas or search warrants? Remember also that news media had no idea that any of that had happened and it was people on team Trump who alerted us that that had happened. But if we assume that everyone who has had their phone seized is part of that investigation and is a subject of it, then Scott Perry, the chair of the house freedom caucus would also be included. Perry was the one who suggested that Trump replace Jeffrey Rosen with Jeffrey Clark so DOJ could in, would endorse Trump's challenges to the election outcome. Now, this is where I like really have concerns, guys. Really have concerns about that time period. I've talked about it before. <clears throat> this discussion that happened about getting rid of Jeffrey Rosen and putting in Jeffrey Clark because Jeffrey Clark was promising to basically be a, a strong man in DOJ in the last in the last weeks of the Trump administration to go after the voting machines or whatever. 
He pushed a number of conspiracy theories at the White House and DOJ, including the whack Italian one. Along with Meadows and Rudy Giuliani, Perry was putting together plans for Trump to come to the Capitol on January 6th. After one meeting with Perry, Meadows burned some papers. Perry isn't even the only one who was closely involved in the plot to steal the election. Jim Jordan, the incoming chair of House Judiciary Committee, was closely involved as well and is very close to the likely subject, Mark Meadows. Remember, remember, we're reading somebody on the left. Okay, just keep your filter on. Indeed, if you include all the members of Congress who discussed or asked for pardons, the number grows longer. In addition to Perry, including at least Matt Gates, Andy Biggs, Louis Gohmert, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Jordan, Perry, Gates, Biggs, Gohmert, and Marge would amount to most of the probable seven-person majority in the House. Marge, as it turns out, is already dreaming up ways to defund this investigation. The means by which she wants to do this, the Hoffman Rule, probably wouldn't work. I believe there's a pre-authorized fund from which special counsel expenses come from. I think she's probably right on this point. I don't believe Marjorie Taylor Greene or any, I don't believe the Republicans can defund this special counsel. If it was possible for the House to defund the special counsel, then John Durham would have already been defunded. Right? I, I don't think that they can accomplish this. To be clear, thus far, Perry is the only person whose actions have overtly been been the focus of the legal process when the FBI seized his phone back in August. It's certainly possible DOJ did so only to get content, such as signal text, that implicates someone else like Clark. This is what I think is actually going on with Scott Perry. But given how how close the majority is in Congress, any prosecution of a Republican member would threaten to disrupt that majority which means any investigation into Republican members of Congress would pose a more immediate threat to the current status quo than a Trump prosecution would. Now, here's like the most important sentence is the very last one, in my opinion. Jack Smith's background, including a stint heading DOJ's Public Integrity Division, during the period when Congressman Rick Renzi was prosecuted, is more suited for the January 6th investigation than the stolen document one, including, as it turns out, the difficulties of prosecuting someone protected by the speech and debate clause. Okay, so keep your filter on. As you process what this article is about, Now, I'm not worried about these people. I'm not worried about these MAGA superstars. I don't believe they did anything wrong. I don't think they're going to be indicted. Um, I don't think they should be. Like, I'm not, I'm not worried about them. But I do think that it makes a lot of sense that Jack Smith would be the person best suited to handle the January 6th investigation, this first part of his assignment. His history points to him being the right person to go after these people. And I think by these people, I mean the actual wrongdoers. Um, it's my opinion that a huge, huge, a significant, I think, I think the majority of the people who conducted the steal 
in 2020 against Trump and the people who interfered after the election and the people who worked to set up the coup against him on January 6th, I think the majority of them are Republicans. I think the majority of them are swampy GOP establishment types. The reason I think that is that when you look at where votes were stole, where where there were inconsistencies in the vote, you find over and over again that Republicans down balloted Trump, improved and won their seats, but Trump somehow got less. I don't think it's simply that the people doing the steal were only robbing votes from Trump. I think they were trying to make sure swampy Republicans Republicans won and Trump lost. There's a lot of it doesn't get as much attention as the big the big precincts and counties and cities where the steal happened in big ways. Um but if you look across other precincts and counties, I think there's a lot of little pieces of the steal where establishment Republicans and swampy Republicans made sure they won and they went ahead and knocked off some votes from Trump because they didn't want him to win. Remember, they want to go back to the uniparty days. I think there's a lot of Republicans involved in the steal in 2020, which helps make Jack Smith a guy well-suited to go after them. I don't think that these names that she is focusing on are the names of people that are actually going to be indicted. The big MAGA stars. Remember, this is a person on the left who's dreaming of Trump and Meadows and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jim Jordan getting getting hit with an indictment. She's That's a fantasy, right? Um, but I think we should keep in mind that a lot of these people had their phones seized or had were served some sort of subpoena or search warrant a while back. And we haven't heard anything about that. We haven't heard anything about any case against them, um, any further action or appearance in court or anything. And I think it was probably because the FBI wanted to get something such as signal text and other and text messages and emails and other things that were had because this is what in that time period between when the steal happened and January 6th, I think you got, I think it's reasonable to assume that there was a scramble on to stop Trump from interfering with the transfer of power, right? They didn't want, they wanted Trump to get out of office. Remember how they were, remember how, they were there was all this terrified talk of how Trump wasn't going to actually leave office and he was going to use the military or he was going to do something extreme and they were going to have to force him to leave the White House. Remember all of that chatter? And remember the um what was that group? That group that put out the uh uh not tip. I I can't remember that group that put out that study back in the summer of 2020 or spring of 2020 talking about how the election was going to go down. And they're the ones who introduced the idea of there being a 
red mirage. But then after the election, when Trump lost, there was going to be he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna leave and he wasn't gonna concede. And oh, I can't remember the name of that report, but there was this thinking that Trump was gonna have to be forced out in some way. So to go along with that, I think you gotta imagine there was probably a scramble on amongst the Uniparty and amongst people involved in the steal and people who were just excited about this deal because they wanted to get rid of Trump, they were probably texting each other and sending, sending messages to one another about what they're going to do to make sure Trump leaves office. In other words, what they're going to do to make sure to interfere with the lawful transfer of power. They're talking about 25th Amendment, talking about, and then they ended up doing the second impeachment. So people like Perry, people like MTG and Biggs and Jordan and Gates and all of them, they probably received some text messages or some other form of message from those uniparty types who were like saying things like, all right, look, I know you like Trump, but we got to make sure that he leaves office. We got to do something to make sure we get him out because he's not going to leave. He's not going to concede. And those types of messages then could become, if there was something criminal going on in the background, those messages then become evidence of that criminality. So I think that's why, in my, in my opinion, I think that's why those search warrants and subpoenas were used against those people was to get their communications. Remember, they've really been going after John Eastman and Jeffrey Clark. And I like John Eastman. I got no reason to think that he was in on anything criminal whatsoever. Same thing with Mark Meadows. But Jeffrey Clark does concern me because of the offer he made to Trump to basically say, look, make me make me uh, attorney general, acting attorney general in place of Rosen and I'll do what you want me to do to make sure you don't have to leave office, basically. <clears throat> he's, he's on my sus list. I think it's a salient point by Empty Wheel that this first assignment, Jack Smith seems uniquely suited based on his experience, his work history to go after things about January 6th. And I kind of wonder if this is the classic case of the media's eyes are going to all be drawn and the reporting is going to be drawn to the Mar-a-Lago case because of classified documents and all this stuff. But really, this guy's focus is going to be on January 6th and the Electoral College stuff. Okay, so anyway, in the Mar-a-Lago case, it's been notified. They've been The judge has been notified that Jack Smith has been added to this case. And we have this very interesting filing from Trump um, asking for uh, the affidavit to be completely unsealed. Remember, we've seen the partial affidavit. Let me see, what time is it? 10.18, okay. So, pretty short filing here. Let's go through it. 
well, moderately short. Now, uh, Mad Mr. Fox, it's not the uh, group that jumped. Well, maybe it is the group that jumped. Maybe John Podesta was in that group. The, as soon as I end the show, the name of the group is going to come to me. I know that. All right. Plaintiff President Donald J. Trump, through undersigned counsel, respectfully moves this court for an order requiring the government to provide him and his counsel with an unredacted version of the August 5th, 2022 search warrant affidavit in support of this motion. Plaintiff states as follows. Now, he doesn't have a right to see the search warrant affidavit. He, he doesn't like if he's indicted, then he does. If Trump is indicted, then he'll have the right to view the affidavit as part of discovery and all that stuff. But this is going to be denied. And they know that <clears throat> they know Trump's counsel and Trump know that the search warrant affidavit cannot be completely unredacted and given to them right now. Or at least it would be very, 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 very extraordinary for DOJ to agree to that. All right. In late 2021 and early 2022, plaintiff's counsel... So my point is, they know this is going to be denied. Why are they doing it? Obviously, there must be a good reason, right? They're doing something they know. They're filing for something they know they're not going to get. So that tells you that what they're asking for on the surface is not the real reason they made this filing. They're not wasting paper. There's a reason why they filed and asked for something they know that they're going to be denied. Background. In late 2021 and early 2022, plaintiff's counsel communicated with representatives of the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA, regarding the return of certain materials locked located at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. In return, or in January 2022, plaintiff voluntarily provided 15 boxes of materials to NARA. Subsequently, a grand jury subpoena was issued for additional documents in the custody or control of the office of President Donald J. Trump. In response, Plaintiff provided additional documents. Despite the open communication between counsel for plaintiff and counsel for the government on August 5th, 2022, the government took the unprecedented step, uh, I love that word, unprecedented, step of seeking a search warrant for Mar-a-Lago. The search warrant was unusually and impermissibly broad. It enabled the government to search plaintiff's office and all storage rooms and all other rooms or areas within the premises used or available to be used by President Trump and his staff and in which boxes could be stored, including all structures or buildings on the, on the estate. The search warrant was also incredibly expansive as to the materials that could be seized. It inappropriately permitted the seizure of not only allegedly responsive documents, but also additional documents in the same box as a potentially responsive document, and, and even, quote, any other containers or boxes that are collectively stored or found together with the aforementioned documents and containers and boxes. Essentially, the search warrant wrongfully permitted the seizure of any document found at Mar-a-Lago. That's not actually true. 
but I get why they write it that way. The government agents acted with abandon in seizing plaintiff's property. <laughs> Footnote. In a bizarre move, at the start of the search, the government asked counsel for plaintiff to turn off the security cameras at Mar-a-Lago, implausibly citing agent safety, despite the presence of numerous U.S. Secret Service agents and the presence of only a handful of other individuals on the property, which had been vacated for the summer. This request was denied. Plaintiff's counsel also asked to observe the search. The government denied that request. They seized attorney-client privilege documents, passports, items of clothing, personal photographs, books, and private correspondence between plaintiffs and his friends and family. At the start of the search, counsel for President Trump requested a copy of the search warrant and supporting affidavit. The government declined this request. Following their nine-hour search, the government did provide a copy of the search warrant and return the receipt for what they, they took, but again refused to provide the affidavit. That's completely normal, guys. I just want you to understand, if the police come and search your home, they don't give you a copy of the affidavit. Ever. Totally normal. On August 11th, 2022, the government moved to unseal the search warrant, a few related documents, and a redacted copy of the receipt for property. The same day, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland held a press conference to publicize the government's motion in an effort to redirect the public outcry that followed the raid. In the press conference, the Attorney General stated, in violation of longstanding DOJ policy, that the identified documents would be made public unless plaintiff filed an objection. What's the footnote? Okay. On August 22, 2022, a magistrate judge ordered the unsealing of a heavily redacted search warrant affidavit. In the public version released on August 25, 2022, 50 of the affidavit's 84 total paragraphs are blacked out. Of the 55 paragraphs following the header probable cause, only four are fully unredacted. The redactions even extend to section headers. There is no legitimate basis to withhold the redacted information from the plaintiff. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of legitimate basis to withhold it. And the and the person writing this knows that. So why are they writing this? The government alleged that redactions were needed to protect, one, witnesses from intimidation or retaliation, two, investigative avenues and techniques, three, grand jury secrecy, four, the safety of law enforcement personnel, five, the privacy interest of third parties. In an attachment explaining its redactions, the government refused to publicly and specifically explain the basis for redactions. None of the purported justifications apply in the context of disclosure of the unredacted search warrant affidavit to plaintiff under the protective order. On August 30th, 2022, the government filed with the court what purported to be a detailed property inventory. However, the supposedly detailed inventory provided little in the way of actual information or detail. Instead, the detailed inventory incorrectly labeled nearly every document seized as a U.S. government document. On September 26, the government provided a certification of inventory accuracy to the special master. It also provided the special master and plaintiff with its third version of the inventory in this matter, which had substantial changes from the previous inventory. 
<clears throat> Footnote. It listed 53 new documents, clippings, or photographs that had not previously been on the inventory list. In addition, a previous entry for two empty folders with classified banners disappeared entirely from the third inventory. Hmm. Plaintiffs should be provided with the basic information that would assist this court in deciding a motion pursuant to the Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 41G. To begin this process, plaintiffs sought a more detailed more detailed property inventory and an, invent and an opportunity to review the material seized from his home. At this juncture, it is also important to review the search warrant affidavit. Under all applicable law and precedent, the affiant was required to not, to not make any material omissions and or material misstatements in seeking the magistrate's authorization, including, but not limited to, factual or legal errors relating to the history of cooperation by plaintiff and his counsel. In addition, the affiant should fully disclose and discuss the total authority of a president to declassify materials and determine that materials are personal records under the Presidential Records Act, as well as the fact that the presidents that presidents are accorded great deference when they have designated materials as either a presidential record or a personal record. Oh, they cite Bill Clinton. Judicial Watch Incorporated versus National Archives and Records Admin. This tape this case involved taped recordings in the possession of President William J. Clinton. <laughs> the Sox case. <laughs> Plaintiffs should be provided with an unredacted copy of the search warrant affidavit so that these matters can be determined by the court. This is especially true given the extraordinary circumstances here, which involve a marked departure from the way other presidents have been treated. Plaintiffs should obtain an unredacted affidavit pursuant to the Fourth Amendment. Affidavit is a judicial record. And as such, there are several grounds for its disclosure. Quote, the common law of the First Amendment and as recognized by some courts, the Fourth Amendment may all, may all afford the public a right of access to court proceedings and judicial records. As the government noted in the litigation involving a media request for the search warrant, affidavit, and related documents, the general public has a qualified right of access to judicial records. Courts in this and other jurisdictions judicial districts, I should say, have recognized that an individual who has been subjected to a search has even greater right to judicial records than the general public. Specifically, the Fourth Amendment may grant a right of access to pre-indictment warrant affidavits. Hmm. Although the Eleventh Circuit has not considered whether such a right exists, decisions from federal courts and other circuits recognize that, rooted in the Fourth Amendment, Targets of search warrant have a pre-indictment right of access to search warrant materials. A person, okay, where is this footnote to? Plaintiff asserts his right to access under common law as the Supreme Court and 11th Circuit have held that there is a presumptive common law right to inspect and copy judicial records. Similarly, plaintiff asserts a First Amendment basis for right of access as well as there is a qualified First Amendment right of access to criminal trial proceedings. A person whose property has been seized pursuant to a search warrant has a right under the warrant clause of the Fourth Amendment to inspect a copy 
of the affidavit upon which the warrant was issued. This is from a search warrant case in 94. The Fourth Amendment right to be free of unreasonable searches and seizures includes the right to examine the affidavit that supports a warrant after the search has been conducted and a return has been filed with the clerk of the court pursuant to Federal Criminal Rules P-41. The plaintiff cannot vindicate his constitutional rights unless he is permitted to review the search warrant affidavit. As the U.S. District Court for the District of Minnesota has held, the Fourth Amendment requirement of probable cause is meaningless without some way for an individual subjected to a search to challenge the lawfulness of that search. This procedural rule would be meaningless if an aggrieved individual is not allowed to review the affidavit. If such a motion is, nece- is such a motion is made, the rule provides that the court will receive evidence on any issue of fact necessary to decide the motion. In such cases, the court's decision will almost always depend on whether the affidavit submitted in support of the warrant application established probable cause. The exceptional circumstances here, including a virtually limitless search of the president's home, the seizure of huge amounts of personal materials, including attorney-client privilege documents, and an attorney general's publication of the government's position in an unprecedented press conference require the disclosure of the affidavit. The idea that the government must keep the details of the affidavit from plaintiff is further under to undermined by the repeated leaks by DOJ of selected and misleading information. In assessing the risk of irreparable, irreparable injury to the plaintiff's reputation, this court noted that government's counsel candidly acknowledged the unfortunate existence of leaks to the press. The government's conduct alone justifies the release of the affidavit to the plaintiff. Moreover, plaintiff's counsel has reviewed most of the seized materials over the last several weeks. Remember, guys, that they've been going back and forth with the special master. And the special master has been going through documents as fast as he can, and he's supposed to be done within the first first or second week of December. Moreover, plaintiff's counsel has reviewed reviewed most of the seized materials over the last several weeks. The fact the government took a huge volume of personal and family photographs, newspapers, thank you notes, campaign materials, books, and golf golf shirts demonstrates that this search and seizure was nothing more than a general ransacking. Footnote. A general rummaging through the belongings of President Trump is a particularly ominous moment in law enforcement history, with DOJ and some state officials engaging in various efforts to investigate President Trump, the search smacks a pretextual conduct with hopes of feeding personal documents to prosecutors or agents who might find use of them in unrelated pursuits. Oh, 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 that gets me, oh man. With DOJ and some state officials engaging in various efforts to investigate President Trump, the search smacks of pretextual conduct with hopes of feeding personal documents to prosecutors or agents who might find use for them in unrelated pursuits. Mm-mm. I feel like that's a wink. Like, I know we can take that the way conservative incorporated norming narrative takes it. But I know for me, 
and Iowa Trump and a few others who are on a different level, that is like, that is a tan, that is a titillating sentence right there. <laughs> that is, that is, <laughs> in other, other words, I read that and my mind doesn't go to, oh, they're trying to create something to indict President Trump on based on what they found in his sock drawer. That's not where my mind goes. My mind goes to President Trump is an asset of DOJ, and they just gave a nod to the fact that he has evidence in his sock drawer on some other people. And this that's why they raided him, the transfer of evidence. Oh, that is. All right. Authorization to seize any other containers, boxes that are collectively stored or found together with the aforementioned documents and containers, boxes, is an invitation to rummage, which every court has recognized as barred under the Fourth Amendment. Good morning, Iowa Trump. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Okay. This raises serious questions about how the affiant characterized his or her assertion of probable cause and the justification for seizing thousands of personal and private items. Plaintiff must have an opportunity to review the affidavit and determine whether the Fourth Amendment was respected, intentionally subverted, or recklessly violated by a DOJ bent on getting its nose under the Mar-a-Lago tent. All right, Section 2, no compelling interest justifies withholding the affidavit from plaintiff. The government has the burden of establishing establishing that a judicial record should be kept sealed. Here, the government cannot show any compelling interest in keeping portions of the affidavit redacted. Plaintiff recognizes a general interest in limiting the public disclosure of facts that might interfere with an investigation. However, general concerns regarding secrecy are insufficient for the government to meet its burden given the circumstances here. Where the Attorney General held a press conference that, about the investigation and where the government has engaged in continuous pattern of leaks, this court should reject any conclusory assertions of a need for secrecy given the facts here. Rather, this case requires a case-by-case -case balancing of the individual's interest in disclosure against the government's need for continued secrecy. Skipping that legalese stuff. Okay. None of the compelling factors that would warrant keeping the affidavit from plaintiff are present here. The entire matter has played out in the media, overwhelmingly because of the government's leaks. There is no concern regarding disclosure of the scope and direction of the investigation, nor is there any prospect of witness intimidation. All right. They can't actually know that. I get why they're saying that, guys, but they can't actually know that. They haven't seen what's in the affidavit and they don't know who the targets are of these grand juries. So they don't actually know that there's no risk or prospect of witness intimidation. And they don't know that there isn't any concern regarding disclosure of the scope and direction of the investigation. There is no concern that providing plaintiff with the affidavit would reveal the investigation to subjects who are currently unaware of the investigation. That's, that's not something you can know based on the information available. Nor is there any credible evidence whatsoever to suggest that if the affidavit was made, made available to plaintiff, materials or information would no longer be available to the government. Fair. 
In fact, the search warrant came seven months after the plaintiff voluntarily sent 15 boxes of materials to NARA. This is a fact. Yes, that's true. Courts have also cited various potential interests related to witnesses whose testimony appears directly or indirectly in the search warrant affidavit. But a limited disclosure of the affidavit to the plaintiff would trigger no such concerns. It would be farcical to cite in this instance any interest in protecting the physical safety of witnesses as, pro as prior courts have sometimes done. Making the search warrant affidavit available to President Trump himself would not raise any such concerns. The same is true with respect to the government's asserted interest in preserving the secrecy of certain investigative techniques, quote, which the government characterizes as critical to future investigations. Even accepting that the government can keep judicial records from the public merely because they describe an investigative technique, that interest cannot be so compelling that it outstrips the constitutional rights of any individual. Here, granting plaintiff access to the search warrant affidavit would have little impact on the government's future, on the government's future investigations, as the plaintiff is already aware of DOJ's investigative techniques. Yes, he is. His knowledge of additional mechanisms would not be relevant to the numerous future cases not involving him. The fact that the government uses informants, reviews videotapes, issues grand jury subpoenas, or works closely with NARA officials is hardly a surprise to even the most casual observer of DOJ's te investigative techniques in this matter. Again, under all circumstances of this investigation, the government should not receive undue deference in asserting its claims to justify opaqueness. Well, when I read preserving the secrecy of certain investigative techniques, a person jumps to mind. And I have a picture of that person. Hold on just a moment. A very, something very specific pops into my mind when I read that. And uh, I set their picture aside <clears throat> for future use. And it is my opinion that this is the investigative technique they are trying to protect. This is the source and the investigative technique that DOJ does not want revealed to the public at this time. Because I am very, 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 very strongly of the opinion that the source at Mar-a-Lago for the affidavit is Trump himself. So them wanting this affidavit, they're playing a game where they're, they want to get the affidavit. They're like, there's nothing in this affidavit that, that you guys need to keep secret from us. You don't need to hide this. You can just go ahead and turn it over to President Trump. He has a Fourth Amendment right to see it. You're leaking anyway. <laughs> but the thing is, the investigative technique they're trying to protect is the president. It absolutely is. Okay. Furthermore. The protective order serves the purpose of protecting any government interest. Even if the government 
could meet its burden of demonstrating a sufficiently compelling interest to justify not disclosing the unredacted affidavit to plaintiff as a general matter. The existence of a protective order in this matter already provides a less onerous alternative to sealing. Skipping that legalese. The protective order in effect in this matter would greatly restrict access of the affidavit. As discussed in section two, to the extent of the court con- to the extent the court continues to view disclosure of the affidavit as raising concerns related to an ongoing investigation, which just became a special counsel investigation, the protective order would substantially mitigate those concerns, as the public would not gain access to witness information, security details, or spe- specifications of any government investigative technique. So they're saying, like, look, look, you can just give it to us. You can just let us see it, guys. Just Judge Cannon, please just tell the DOJ to unseal completely, unredact the affidavit, let us see it and put a protective order on it. And only us, Trump's lawyers and Trump will take a look at the affidavit. We have a right to see it. And then if you just let us see it under a protective order, then you don't have to worry about anybody else see it and how you don't have to worry about your your investigative techniques being revealed and whatnot. Conclusion for the reasons set forth above plaintiff respectfully request in the interest of justice that the court order the government to provide plaintiff with an unredacted version of the August 5th search warrant affidavit. Submitted by Halligan and Trusty and Corcoran. Okay. Mm-mm-mm. I gotta admit their filing is very compelling. It is it is a very they make a very good argument. I look forward to how to seeing how DOJ and Judge Cannon respond. Um sorry I've been coughing so much and clearing my throat, guys. Still getting over this junk. I'm trying to remember to mute, but sometimes I just I don't make it in time. So apologies for any of that. But the thing is, as Weissman, yes, I know who Weissman is. Yes, Weissman. Yes. The Fourth Amendment does not require this. It doesn't require that the person that the search warrant was served on gets a Fourth Amendment, gets the affidavit. In fact, law enforcement has a right to keep investigations covert and a subject target cannot learn what evidence the government has at this stage. That's the key thing at this stage. If char if charged, he can and will get this information. That's why I'm saying like this filing, it's like these, these counsels, these attorneys know this. These attorneys know that at this stage of the investigation, they don't have a right to the affidavit. But yet they went through the trouble of making this filing, asking for it. Why? I think that's an interesting question to ponder. I don't actually have the answer right now. But the answer might come or might become apparent with how it's responded to. Okay. 
see, what do I got next? 1046. All right, I need more coffee in my cup. And so we're going to take a short coffee break so that I can get more coffee. And to do that, we're going to need some intermission music. Hold on just a moment. Okay, okay. Intermission. I'll be back in about three to five minutes and we'll do some more.
Oh, shoot. I don't even know if y'all heard the music. It was pretty low volume. I'm so pro at this, man. I'm only streaming on like one, <laughs> one site right now, and I can't get the music volume right. I'm debating on whether or not I'll keep using StreamYard for my regular show. I have to use StreamYard for my show with uh, Burning Bright because I got to be able to have a uh, a guest on with me. So um, StreamYard makes the most sense. Um, but y'all could hear it. Okay, cool. Um, okay. But I'm still getting used to StreamYard works a lot different. I know that this is like inside whatever. Um, but like there's been one thing I like about StreamYard is I don't have to set a bunch of stuff all up, up all over again every time I use it. Whereas with OBS, like every time I start that program up, I got to put back in my mic and my camera and there's stuff has always changed like every time. And I don't understand why the program is like that. Every time I close it and open it back up, I have to redo a bunch of stuff. And StreamYard isn't like that. StreamYard also saves the recording and saves just an audio version only recording, which makes it really easy for me to just download the audio version only and upload that to my Substack for a, uh, for the podcast but StreamYard gives me no audio controls. So I can't fade in music or fade it out. And I'm really not happy with how my intro is, is uh, working. My intro for this show, I'm ha not happy with how it's working in StreamYard because it just hits at max volume all of a sudden. And with OBS, I was able to blend that music up. I could, you know, do a, I could slowly raise the volume as the video started so it didn't blow people's eardrums out. Um, work, work in progress. I'll get, I'll get there. Let's see. Okay, next thing I want to cover... This. All right, I'm going to cover just a, a few more topics, like really two more topics. And then um, after that, if y'all have some questions or something, we can chat for a little while. So if you have questions you want to ask me, save them for here after I do these next topics. Arturel, thank you very much. Arturel says, I need to make friends with Riketa Law. I like Nick Riketa. He would be great to post questions to and have on your show. And I'm pretty sure he's a MAGA guy. Yeah, Nick is, um, I like Nick a whole lot. And I watch his show too. Um, Not as much as I used to, but uh, I do like Nick a lot. He's very good. He's very good at explaining the law and uh, knows a hell of a lot more than me. Um. Nick and I align politically because I think he's more um, he's kind of MAGA, but he's more libertarian, which is kind of how I am. I'm more of an ANCAP. And but 
but the, we we align a lot on our political views, very very much so. Um, yeah, I don't know if I need to make friends with him and go on his. Sh- I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know that Nick. Well. I don't know. I think I might be a little too out there for Nick, but then I think about some of his other guests and maybe not. I I don't know, but I do like Nick Ricada a lot. And thank you very much for the rumble rant. Okay. Say, save your question, save questions for the end. Let me get this, uh, this next topic. Do you guys remember a while back? talking about NSPM 13. If you don't remember what NSPM 13 is, that's okay. Cause I found a pretty good article that explains it very, very well. And I'm going to read it. Let's see. Get that. There we go. Okay. NSPM 13. On May 13th, the Washington Post, a Washington Post story indicated that changes to U.S. policy regarding offensive cyber operations are imminent. These changes would refine the Trump administration policy as promulgated under National Security Presidential Memorandum 13, NSPM 13, which was made in 2018. To understand the story underlying this change, it is helpful to review the history of presidential guidance and policy regarding offensive cyber cyber operations. The first known White House statement on this topic was articulated in Presidential Policy Directive 20, PPD 20, established by the Obama administration in 2012. The text of PPD 20, still technically classified, was made public in 2013 by the Snowden disclosures and is widely available online. By contrast, the text of NSPM 13, also classified, is not public. One public source indicates that the major change between NSPM 13 and PPD 20 was, quote, an offensive step forward from a policy that provided consensus in a U.S. government interagency process that included the departments of defense and state, among others. Reportedly, NSPM 13 provides, quote, for the delegation of well-defined authorities to the Secretary of Defense to conduct time-sensitive military operations in cyberspace. According to statements made by a member of the Joint Staff, NSPM 13 enabled faster, more agile decision-making by allowing delegations of authority and enabling the delegatee, the party to whom authority was delegated to, to make coordination and approval decisions that would otherwise be made by the National Security Council. So it streamlined decision-making when it came to offensive cyber operations, meaning that action could be taken much quicker. What revisions to NSPM 13 are being contemplated by the Biden administration? Publicly, concerns have revolved around the possibility that the approval process for our offensive cyber operations would become more cumbersome by giving greater weight to the concerns of other non-defense agencies. In particular, the State Department was reportedly set to gain a greater ability to monitor and weigh in on third-party notifications, 
Defined as whether how the U- whether and how the U.S. government alerts countries if it plans to enter their cyberspace to interrupt adversaries' cyber operations. According to the Washington Post story referenced above, the key change is to a policy established by the Trump administration. Keep this in mind. Previously, quote, the Pentagon could override the State Department's objection to an offensive cyber operation without explanation and without the White House's knowledge. But now the Defense Department will have to keep both the White House and State Department apprised of Cyber Cyber Command's rationale for proceeding. Overall, the rationale for the change is said to be preventing offensive cyber operations that pass through third-party nations <coughs> from conflicting with intelligence-gathering efforts or interfering with State Department efforts to maintain good relations with those nations. More broadly, the chairs of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission have expressed concerns that go beyond the State Department and have interpreted proposed changes as being intended, quote, to limit the, secrets, to limit the Secretary of Defense's freedom of action to plan and conduct offensive cyber operations. Commission co-chair Rep. Mike Gallagher has separately expressed concern that efforts by the administration to pull back the delegation and provide additional oversight and interagency input in the midst of the execution phase risk undermining our national security. Such concerns raise an interesting and important question. Is the choice a binary one, simply between White House involvement in approving any offensive cyber operation or leaving approval authority in the hands of the Defense Department? I suggest this question is poor framing of the problem. Let's move outside the cyber domain for a moment. No one really questions the fact that only the president has the authority to order the use of nuclear weapons. Whether the president should be able to order the use of nuclear weapons without the concurrence of a second party is a different matter not addressed in this post. I'm so sorry, guys. Although there is at least one known instance in which this authority was delegated to someone else. I was trying to avoid taking another cough drop, but I guess I don't have a choice. Okay, so although there is at least one known instance in which this authority was delegated to someone else the commander of North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, for some years was delegated the authority to use nuclear weapons against Soviet bombers. The delegation of such authority is today totally regarded as a bad idea. Why should the use of nuclear weapons entail the involvement and approval of the president? I suggest it is because the use of nuclear weapons is widely believed to be broad strategic, have broad strategic implications that involve trade-offs between a variety of conflicting objectives and entail some risk of significant escalation, depending on the situation in, in which such use is contemplated. It is this escalation and the possibility of, of much more widespread use that poses the most danger, rather than the first initial use of a nuclear weapon. And the authority to make strategically significant trade-offs properly on behalf of the nation should lie in its highest elected officials rather than simply the Defense Department. 
but cyber weapons, or more generally offensive cyber operations, are not like nuclear weapons. <coughs> A nuclear expo explosion is an unambiguous event. It is entirely possible for the use of cyber weapons to have entirely minimal and barely noticeable effects. Indeed, the effects of, of using a cyber weapon are to be considerable to a considerable degree under the control of the attacker. Well, I'm so sorry, my voice is giving up on me. Okay, the point of this is that NSPM 13 came out of 2018 in the Trump administration and it streamlined this process of the approval of offensive cyber operations, <clears throat> actions done to protect our country in this cyber sphere, the cyber battlefield. I covered this back whenever there was in May, when there was this um, virtual event with the Hudson Institute and they talked about the future of NSPM 13 and cyber warfare. And you guys may remember this be because it featured Ezra Cohen Watnick. And Joshua Steinman, both people that were on the National Security Council or assistant with the National Security Council during the Trump administration, and both people who gave input into NSPM 13s, particularly Joshua Steinman. Well, the Biden administration wants to change NSPM 13, and they want the State Department to have a bigger role in approving these cyber operations. And if I remember correctly, it's been since May that I watched this uh, this this little I don't want to call it forty five minute um, panel with these guys talking about NSPM thirteen. They said there was a couple interesting things in it, well, several things, but one of them was that it used to take if you like they, I think it was Joshua Steinman gave this example. I think I may be misremembering, but the point is what matters most here. If you think about being on a battlefield, a tangible battlefield, um, where you're connect, you're engaged in kinetic operations. So if you and your guys are under attack, but you, or you see an attack that is coming, you see the enemy is going to attack some friends or allies or innocent people and you need to get approval to stop them. You have to go through this chain of command and you want the response time <laughs> from when you notice the threat to when you get approval to engage that threat to be as small as possible so that you can stop the enemy as quickly as possible. If there's too many people in that chain, such as a bunch of lawyers, 
such as people at the State Department who have no idea about the battlefield you're, battlefield you're on or the conditions or what it takes to go from observing the enemy to engaging the enemy. It delays, 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 delays your response time. And he gave an example, but I don't remember the time. But it used to take a long, long time to get approval. <clears throat> and that costs lives. That costs lives. So part of the purpose of NSPM 13 was to make sure that it could get that cyber operations, which happen in the cyberspace, the digital battlefield, can be approved as quickly as possible because in cyber warfare, <clears throat> an attack that does serious damage could happen within just minutes from the point of threat detection of an enemy who got inside. Um, think of like an infrastructure attack. So say the enemy wants to get inside an infrastructure network, whether it's electricity or gas or whatever it is, right? And they want to, they want to get inside. They want to disrupt that infrastructure network. They could be in and out within a couple minutes and they could do all the damage they need to do within those minutes. So the prospect of a cyber team detecting that invasion and then having to talk to DOD, having to talk to State Department, get White House approval, and then go back down the chain of command so that somebody sitting at a computer can go, okay, I'm going to stop them. By the time all that happens, the damage is already done. It's long over. <clears throat> so the point of NSPM 13 was to streamline all of that, cut all of these steps out, delegate the authority to people on the ground who can make real-time decisions to protect assets and allies and protect our country and innocent people. And it's worked. It's worked very well. And if I remember right, this guy here, by the way, this thing is on Hudson Institute's YouTube page. It's very easy to find. Go to Hudson Institute on YouTube and you can find this. Just search NSPM 13. <clears throat> If I remember right, this guy right here in the lower right, I'm pretty sure it was him, but these other guys conferred. They talked about something that I hadn't heard anybody else ever mention about the Ukraine war. They said at the very beginning of the Ukraine war, there was a cyber operation to cause a disaster at the very beginning of the war that was stopped by our guys, our good guys operating in cyber warfare stopped something from happening and they did not name Russia as the people who were stopped. I feel like if it was Russia, they would have said Russia and they didn't, they didn't name who the entity was. <clears throat> in my opinion, I think it was deep state actors who are going to do it and they can't say that, but regardless, NSPM 13 has been in use since 2018, and it's a Trump admin policy. The Biden administration wants to come in and change it, and they've been working on this all year. And now we have news. Biden is set to approve expansive authorities for Pentagon to carry out cyber operations. 
From November 17th, the Defense Department has largely won out in a long-running bureaucratic battle with the State Department over retaining its broad powers to launch cyber operations, according to two sources familiar. While the exact details of which authorities the Pentagon retains to carry out cyber operations are classified, sources familiar with the matter said it it succeeded in holding on to key parts of broad authorities the Trump administration granted DOD in 2018. The State Department won some concessions as part of the revised policy document, according to a senior administration official speaking on condition of anonymity to describe the framework. The official added that the final version of the policy memorandum will include provisions requiring the White House to receive details of cyber operation plans from DOD well in advance of operations. The new policy will will also allow agencies to flag operations they find concerning what the official called a documented dispute resolution process. President Biden is now set to review these authorities in a newly revised version of NSPM 13. So, I'm not going to say this is a devolution proof, but it's a devolution notable, in my opinion. Because I think that if they could, they would make sure to involve the State Department and White House as much as possible in anything having to do with DOD operations. And they were not able to make that happen. I think that's pretty dang notable. We all know that it's the State Department, which is the sister department of the CIA. He wants to be involved in as many things as possible when it comes to DOD operations, and they've been cut out of DOD operations. And here's another instance where they were trying to get back in and were denied. Again, I'm not saying it's a devolution proof. But in the context of devolution, it is, it is very notable. And that reminds me. Last topic before I'll, I'll take some questions, if y'all have any. If we don't have any, great. <laughs> I'll, I'll give my voice a rest, but uh, I'll be happy to answer them as long as I can. So there's this Bill Barr uh, stuff going on, because Bill Barr was... Um, where was he at? He uh he just made some news. He said that uh Trump is gonna burn down the GOP or something like that. Hey, let me just I'll just grab the most sensational article I possibly can. The Gateway Pundit. That's all they do is clickbait sensationalism. Well, I shouldn't say all they do, but just about all they do is clickbait sensationalism. Nasty Bill Barr, who allowed criminals to run his DOJ and then steal the 2020 election, says President Trump will burn down the GOP. (laughs) You could not you could not be more over the top in your sensationalism than the Gateway Pundit. They've taken it to a level that is just ridiculous 
Bill Barr is suffering from the Trump curse that crushes any and all deep state actors who pretend to be good citizens when they are not. Bill Barr allowed criminals to run his DOJ and FBI. Corrupt Chris Ray still runs the FBI. Barr never addressed the crimes of by members of the Mueller gang who attempted a coup on the, of the Trump administration. Barr never addressed big tech censorship of conservatives. Barr never addressed the corrupt acts leading up to the impeachments. He never addressed Biden's illegal deals in Ukraine or China or Russia. Barr stayed away from the Obama's actions with Iran and Hillary's many crimes. Barr then failed monumentally by not addressing the many crimes in the 2020 election that led to the certification of an uncertifiable election that gave the election to Biden. The FBI and DOJ are so bad today that good and honest Americans are afraid of being raided at their home in the middle of the night for doing what is right and honest and constitutional. And then they quote this <coughs> article of what Bill Barr said. Former Attorney General Bill Barr tore into Donald Trump as least able to unite the GOP and most likely to lose the general election in 2024 after the former president announced his third run. Quote, it is painfully clear from his track record in both the 2020 election and the 2022 midterms that Donald Trump is neither capable of forging his winning coalition or delivering the decisive and durable victory required, Barr wrote in an op-ed. Trump will burn down the GOP. Honestly, that's kind of what I want him to do. If we're talking about the GOP establishment and the the way the GOP has been in the swamp, that's that's what I want Trump to do is burn down the GOP establishment. <clears throat> and y'all know my opinion. Like, yes, I see y'all in the chat. You're just like, good. <laughs> like, like, screw the GOP. Um, so I actually really like this from Bill Barr. Uh, but of course, we got to overreact to it because it's Bill Barr. Um, let's see. But we know this is kayfabe. Like we know this is total kayfabe between Trump and Barr and my friend, John Harold, AKA Patel Patriot points it out. Trump fired off a tweet or a truth. I should say, Hey, let me grab it. Uh, Trump fired off a truth about Barr in this statement and Trump said something that is completely incorrect. Oh, what? Had, how do you quote truth? Okay. You got it right here. Okay. This is what Trump said. Sloppy Bill Barr was a weak and ineffective attorney general who was fired. He didn't quit! Exclamation mark. <coughs> and now he's nothing more than a disgruntled former employee. Barr was a bushy who was petrified of being impeached, which the Dems were going to do unless he changed course on the rig election. He knows nothing about the document hoax and as a lawyer and former AG shouldn't be talking. Weak rhino Bill Barr always caved to the Dems and is a disgrace to the Republican Party and our nation. Well, the thing is, 
Trump now claiming he fired Bill Barr, but Barr released his letter resigning on December 14th, and then he left on December 23rd. Can you think of any other Trump firings that weren't effective immediately? And John's exactly right. And this is the kayfabe tell (coughs) in this instance. This is one of the kayfabe tells between Trump and Barr is that Trump, Trump is wrong, guys. Trump is wrong. He didn't fire Bill Barr. He didn't. Barr resigned. He gave the letter on December 14th. And he left on the 23rd. But here's Trump saying, making some a completely incorrect statement. But then I like how Karma Patriot cued in on, uh, good morning, Karma, cued in on him saying he didn't quit. There's so many contradictions in this uh, statement from Trump that it are not, this, this, it's non, not contradictions necessarily, but nonsensical things. Um, sloppy Bill Barr. I don't see how Bill Barr is sloppy, but Barr was a bushy who was petrified of being impeached. I don't think he was scared at all of anybody. Bill Barr doesn't seem like the kind of person who's scared of anybody at all. He knows nothing about the document hoax, yet he's the guy who appointed Huber or uh, appointed appointed Durham. As a lawyer and former AG, he shouldn't be talking. Weak Rhino Bill Barr always caved to the Dems and is a disgrace to the Republican Party and our nation. Yeah. It's just so over the top. It's total kayfabe, guys. It's it's so hilarious. The um <clears throat> the Trump Barr kayfabe is my favorite kayfabe that there is. Um it's it's absolutely hilarious. I said in the chat the other day, I hope I hope it goes on forever. I hope I hope Trump and Barr are yelling at each other like this forever because it's it's hilarious to me. It's so entertaining. Okay. <clears throat> I am very sorry, guys, for uh, always coughing and clearing my throat during this show. But I got through it, and I got some time. If y'all have any questions or whatever, can't guarantee that I have the answer, but I'll be happy to give it a shot. Um, Since I'm not streaming on a bunch of services today, even though I noticed that, like, my foxhole is live. My foxhole is live. Excuse me, but the video is not playing over there. But yeah, I don't know what's up with that. I really need to do a troubleshooting stream. Okay. So I can just pay attention to Rumble Chat and we'll see we'll see what y'all got. Blue Heron, what do you mean by Kyle, how do you know what arrange? Arrange what? <clears throat> R.L. Skeeter asked, can I explain what Flynn meant when he said that military is not going to help 
it is under the current admin discretion. So how does the Q post, it has to be the military fit in. <clears throat> All right. Um, I'm not sure exactly which comment you're referring to from Flynn, but I'll tell you that in the Q drops, the expression military is the only way means something different to me than it means to most people who follow the drops. And I could be wrong, of course. But what makes the most sense to me is that military is the only way is a reference to devolution or continuity of government that we are, we are in. So I think that in the drops where it says military is the only way that expression does not mean military has to take over our elections or military has to run the country or we have to have military has to bring justice or anything like that. <clears throat> I'm not of that opinion. I think military is the only way is a reference to enacting continuity of government operations in order to protect our country during the time period that we're in right now. And that gives us the opportunity to do the things we need to do to take our country back. That's, that's just my opinion. First Patriot Dave asks, what's the new acts? Well, I don't have a new axe. I just moved one down here. That is my uh, my Martin. I got that in uh, 2007. 2007 or very early 2008. That's my Martin Acoustic, Acoustic Electric. I keep it tuned about, I either keep it in standard or a half step down. And then my Alvarez that's next to it, I keep that in... Um, I keep that about two steps down. I usually keep it in C because um, it's really, I, re I really like playing in C and it's a big bassy guitar. So it, uh, it really brings out that low. It's really good on the low end. So I like that. Okay. Blue Heron. How, how do you know what arrangement bar and Trump had for this, his ouster? This is done all the time, allowing people to resign well, they have actually been told to leave. It's just a contradiction that Trump, I mean, can you think of anybody else that Trump fired, but then they stayed on for another 10 days? I mean, Trump did not fire Barr. It's in his, his let, he is resigning right here and then saying, I'm going to keep working until December 23rd. As discussed, look, I mean, he even says he discussed it with Trump. He ends it with, as discussed, I will spend the next week wrapping up a few remaining matters important to the administration and depart on December 23rd. Wishing you, Melania, and your family a Merry Christmas and a blessed holiday season. God bless. Sincerely, William P. Barr. His letter is not one where he's been fired. I mean... It's not, but Trump, Trump and Barr have known each other since the late eighties. So like they've worked together for a very long time. Um, the, the, the fighting between them is completely fake. Someone asked me again, 76 guardian asked, what does, uh, what does kayfabe mean? 
You must be new here. Welcome. <laughs> Hold on just a moment. Kayfabe is a wrestling term and it means the portrayal of staged events where both parties know that they're faking it, but they're faking it towards an end goal. Okay. Um, when you know you're faking and the audience knows you're faking and you know, the audience knows you're faking. It's stay. It's like Kabuki theater, but a little bit different because both are both parties are acting as if they are opposed to one another and don't get along. And generally one of them is playing the bad guy and one of them is playing the good guy. So with like Trump and Barr, it, it, it's not necessarily good, good guy, bad guy, but from our perspective, Trump's the good guy, Barr is the bad guy. He's a swamp monster, rhino, blah, 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 blah. But it's all an act. And the act is important because what the act does is it gives separation between the two because Barr set in motion <coughs> so many things that are going to result in nasty swamp people getting... um getting caught by Durham and by others. So there needs to be, but there needs to be some separation so that it doesn't look so much like um, Trump sicked a bunch of prosecutors on all of Trump's political enemies. So the kayfabe provides some cover for that. It also keeps people's attention. So like if bought when Barr and Trump are having um, words with each other and there seem to be at odds, it's inevitable that, or it's not inevitable. As a consequence, Barr starts getting invited on all these MSM shows. Well, the, the mainstream media hates Bill Barr. Their audience hates Bill Barr. They think he's a Trump lackey. They think he protected Trump. Um, I was reading some comments the other day on the special counsel, and it was on Twitter, and it was filled with comments from lefties who are mad about it, even though they just got a special counsel from Garland. They're all mad about it because they think that Garland is protecting Trump just like Barr protected Trump. So this, this theater keeps all of their attention to the point that even the mainstream media will have Bill Barr on their shows. And what does Bill Barr do? He goes on their shows and he feeds the kayfabe narrative and he feeds the theater. And then they'll ask him, if, if Barr is the nominee, will you vote for him? And he says yes. Right there on CNN. This happened uh, in the spring and on um, the Today Show, NBC. Barr did this tour when his book came out about, he did a media tour with his book. And all the MSM were having him on because he uh, had said he and Trump were publicly feuding, engaging in their kayfabe. So mainstream media has Barr on because they want him to bash Trump on their shows. So he goes on there and <clears throat> slings his usual insults at Trump. 
And then at the end of the interview, they're like, so do you think that Trump, um, what will you do if Trump is the nominee in 2024? And Barr says, absolutely, I'm going to vote for Trump in 2024 if he's the nominee. I can't imagine myself voting for anybody other than the Republican nominee. And then all of their heads explode. <laughs> Okay. Y'all are, I took a long time answering that question and y'all are posting a bunch more. I haven't looked in recent Trump misspellings. I haven't looked into them, but I'm sure some other people have. Oh, I think I skipped a bunch. Okay. Yeah. Trump knows how to get people spinning. That's right. What's for Turkey Day? Well, I think there's a turkey this year. I'm doing uh, beef short ribs <clears throat> as another um, entree. And then my wife always makes a bunch of pies. Um, <coughs> my, my wife always makes a bunch of pies, and uh, like especially apple pie. And I don't know what other kind of pies she's making, but the apple pie is like the thing. Like I'm... I married that woman because she's so good at baking homemade apple pies made from scratch. They're amazing. So that's another reason why Thanksgiving is my favorite time of year is because my wife makes, sometimes she makes two pies, one for one apple pie for me and then one apple pie for the rest of the family. When I say I'm planning on getting extra fat, like I'm going to, I'm going to eat as much apple pie as I'm allowed to. And then I'm going to eat some more. Anka Vanka, good morning. Anka Vanka asks, how do you explain General Flynn's comments where he said that Biden overwrote all of Trump's EOs? I'm not sure that's accurate. I'm not sure that's accurate. Um, Biden did extend some of Trump's EOs, and he did uh, write his own EOs, which took Trump's EO and added to them. Um. But Patel Patriot's the guy to really answer that question. But I'm not. A lot of Trump CEOs are still in place. So I just think that that's a that's a an inaccurate. Uh, comment there. Um, but I, I wouldn't expect Flynn to just go out and say, you know, Flynn's not going to confirm Devo or Cog. So. um yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Iowa Trump asks, there have been so many suits by and involving Trump. Can you tell us which ones are still hanging out there? I think Trump versus CNN is still active. The Trump civil RICO case was dismissed. Um, and then, but it's still kind of active because different parties are filing for Trump to pay his, their legal expenses. Um, then there's the Trump Mar-a-Lago case. And that has several cases associated with it. And then I saw something about them. Let's see. There's the DA tax case. And then I don't know how many there are that have to do with, uh, the Trump organization, 
There's that other tax case with the, um, I can't, uh, Mazars or Mazars, or I think it's Mazars, where they tried to get Trump on some kind of, uh, like he was getting some kind of, he was lying on his taxes and getting some kind of benefit. Uh, but he wasn't. And the guy who did his taxes said he wasn't. Um, there's probably more than that. Polo girl. Oh no. Polo girl. You're going to get me in trouble. Polo girl to ask, why do you think Trump backed rhinos, McCarthy, McConnell and McDaniel? Oh gosh. Polo girl. Why'd you have to ask that question? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. We have to play. We have to play chess, not checkers. And a lot of people are wanting to play checkers right now. But as you can see on screen, Trump backed McCarthy on election day. November 8th, he, before the election was even over, he immediately backed McCarthy for speaker. That's how important it is to him. He, this is in a Fox News interview that he said this. <clears throat> Put aside your emotions and feelings about McCarthy. Okay. McCarthy has already agreed that he will restore all of MTG's committee assignments. And he's already agreed that he will put Johnson on the, uh, as chair, as the judicial of the judicial committee. And there's a bunch of other things that McCarthy has already said. What people need to realize. And Trump tried to tell people to back off McCarthy this summer. He tried to tell people, but they didn't listen. Um, McCarthy doesn't have to be America first MAGA through and through McCarthy doesn't have to be the most firebrand loud mouth MAGA superstar that there is as speaker. What McCarthy needs to be is someone who can bring together all of the Republicans in order to get legislation passed. And if you've been paying attention to what's gone on in the house over the past two years, McCarthy and McConnell have done a phenomenal job blocking the Democrats agenda. If not for McCarthy and McConnell uniting Republicans against the Democrats and also making the Democrats go through a bunch of different hoops, making them work really, really hard to get legislation that they wanted through and making them whittle their legislation down to a shadow of what they actually wanted, we would be in much, 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 much worse shape. McCarthy and McConnell are not my favorite people in DC. 
and they are not MAGA. <clears throat> but they are highly effective political operators. They are highly effective in what they do as far as playing the game in the Senate and in the House. That is why Trump supports them in those roles. Is right now we need people who are highly effective at playing the game of of working the rules and the policies and maneuvering legislation in and out of the and off the floor of the Senate and the House. We need people who are highly effective at those tasks. And by having McCarthy and McConnell there, that's what we have. It also frees up MAGA superstars to go do things they're really good at in the committees where they can get real investigative work done. If you take someone like a MAGA superstar like Jim Jordan and you put him in as speaker, he's not going to get much done. He's not. Because the rhinos in the Republican Party in the House aren't going to work with him. The Democrats will be united against him. And then you will be taking him off of assignments that he could have been doing in a committee. The speakership is not about who makes the best sound bites or who is a rock star. It's about being effective at that specific role. And Jordan is not the best person for speaker. He's not. He's he's much better. His tool set, his skill set is much better used in a committee where he can do investigations. So that's what I mean by we got to play chess and not checkers. The other thing is that if you put someone like Jordan as the House Speaker, Democrats are going to run against Jordan in 2024. And they're going to make the case that everything that's gone, anything that's gone wrong in the past two years in the House has to do with Jim Jordan because MAGA took over the House, even though MAGA hasn't taken over the House. Not yet. So you're giving them a target to go after if you do that. I think the best play is to have McCarthy as speaker and have McConnell as leader in the Senate for the next two years. And then when we win more seats in 2024 and we have more MAGA Republicans in office in 2024, we can put somebody that's more MAGA in as speaker and as leader. But right now, if we did that, we'd be wasting that person. And now I'm going to be in trouble. So <laughs> I can already see like a hundred people left the stream. <laughs> people can handle it, man. They can't, they can't, they can't handle it because they just, everybody's been so programmed um, to, these are the people we hate and these are the pe people we like and that's it. So like that it's, that's how everybody has been, been trained by conservative incorporated media. And on, on the left, it's the exact same thing. Um, on the left, it's the exact same thing. There's good guys and there's bad guys, and you can't compromise any of that. Um, you can't say anything. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's binary thinking, and it's also reactionary thinking. 
Um, but we can't think like that. We that's it's all it's checkers. That's thinking like the game of checkers. It's oh, there's the opposite color of me, so therefore I can jump them. And like that's people have been taught to think that way. Um, and we can't we can't do that. We have to be better than that. I also think, I mean, this is also going to get me in trouble, but whatever. I also think all the anti-McCarthy talk that has come out of conservative incorporated media is way overblown. I'm not telling you got telling you, you got to like the guy or that he's great or that he actually is secretly MAGA. I'm just saying that the, the hatred for McCarthy that is in conservative incorporated media is ridiculous. And Trump has been trying to tell people that, but they, they won't listen to him. Okay, I'm scanning quickly through some of your comments while I have some time. <clears throat> Rad for Liberty. Thank you for mentioning my Cognitive Clips channel. Yeah, I put up another clip on there yesterday. I've just been really busy and the past, uh, some of my shows, I just felt like I didn't have that many clippable moments in some of the past shows, but I put up a clip yesterday on, um, on my, uh, clips channel. Y'all can find the link for that in the description, just human clips. And, uh, I'll put some clips up from today's show on there as well. Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah. First Patriot Dave. I like Andy Biggs. Anka Vanka. I love that comment. There's no crying in five GW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, MTG is backing McCarthy, yeah. Here, I um I just thought of something y'all haven't asked it or if you did ask, I missed it. I missed it. But I've been getting a lot of questions about a case at SCOTUS that is some random person who's named every single person in the Senate and in the House. And that case has been flying around everywhere. Um, people have hit me up. I've, I've probably been hit up about that case several dozen times. I think I'll just go ahead and answer on the show. I think it's junk. Um, Y'all have probably seen it. I, th I think that case is junk. I think it's just some random who's made a filing and for attention. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but that's just how it comes off to me. And I don't think it'll go anywhere. So if I'm wrong, I mean, great, but, um, yeah, I, I just, I just don't think there's much to it. I think it's just one of those filings that some people do to get attention. Um, yeah. Mermaid Miss K. Good morning. Glad to see you. Okay. I got about just a few more minutes. If anybody has anything else they want to bring up or ask. 
Steve Clabo. Steve, thank you for the Rumble rant. Could you check out Mike Church? He has minutes from writing of the federal constitution and his own show. Love to see balance. Mike Church. That sounds familiar, but Mike Church. That sounds familiar. I will check him out. Thank you very much. I don't think I've ever listened to him, but I've heard that name. Lat 701, you're welcome. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad about it. Don't. It's like we're we're all programmed to to uh to be like that. We're we're all programmed to to have that perspective and that reaction to certain people. And uh um that's how they want us to be and it's easy to to fall into that that cycle of thinking that way. Breaking out of it is difficult to do. Um but once you do, you can see things a lot more clearly. Thank you, Ankabanka. Much appreciated. Dandy St. Cloud. Um, asked, why does nobody ever challenge McConnell getting $121 million through his father-in-law, Chow, who is a CCP party person? His wife is from Taiwan, so I'm not sure her parents are CCP party. Um, but I do hear it brought up all the time, so I don't know which – I'm not sure what you're referring to not being brought up at all because people bring that up to me all the time that oh, McConnell's so terrible. He got all this money from his wife and his wife is crooked and blah, blah, blah. And people bring up that to me all the time. <laughs> but the thing, but <clears throat> the thing is his wife is one of the people who served throughout Trump's administration, like the whole time. Um, so I think that if, she was CCP. I don't think Trump would have put someone who was CCP in his administration. Um, you got one thing to remember about these, these people who are in these roles is that the establishment hates them. The left hates them. The uniparty hates them. Like, there's all sorts of negative stuff coming at them. Um, so like you gotta be careful about what the claims are and who the claims are coming from. I guess I should say, all right, you say his wife escaped, but her dad is CCP. Well, she was cleared enough to work in Trump's administration and she served in it throughout his administration as transport in transportation.
By the way, I know that the FTX fund, that Democrat slush fund or uniparty slush fund, it gave money to McConnell's leadership fund and it gave money to, I forget which fund it was that was associated with McCarthy. But that guy gave money to everybody. Like everybody. That guy, that guy, FTX was giving money all over the place. So I don't think we can judge that because they gave money to this pack or this person or this this organization, therefore that organization is bad. Because it seems to me that, that that organization, that FTX was giving money away as fast as they could and laundering it as quickly as they could. And one of the things you do if you're trying to disguise um, that you're a money laundering operation for specific orgs and specific causes is you give it around to other causes which seem contrary to what you're really about. So FTX was definitely a slush fund for Democrats and a whole bunch of money went to Democrats. But one way to not draw a bunch of eyeballs or to not give the appearance of being only a slush fund for Democrats is to give money to some Republicans too and give money to a bunch of other causes. So just saying, spreading it around helps hide the game, the money laundering game you're really playing and what you're actually about. And by the way, I'm not saying that McCarthy and McConnell are good people, white hats. Like I'm not saying they're white hats. Don't, don't make that mistake of inferring that from me. I'm not trying to excuse them or say that they're really good. I'm just saying that there's a lot of negativity against them that I think is way overblown. And I know McCarthy caught a bunch of heat for, um, I know that McCarthy caught a whole bunch of heat because he didn't give to certain races and McConnell didn't give to certain races. But, I agree with karma that they gave money to races to force Democrats to pour more money into those races and to help certain people win. It's a game. It's a, it's a specific chess match game. It's not as simple as, Oh, this candidate checks all the MAGA boxes. Therefore we're going to support them. Yeah. McCarthy got, or McCarthy's PAC got some money from FTX and McConnell got over 2 million from FTX in one of his funds or PACs. And let's see. Let me see how much McCarthy got. Lawmakers return FTX money. 750,000. Yeah, McCarthy um McCarthy received 750,000 from FTX. So it's I mean that's a lot of money, but compared to the money they gave to other causes, it's not that much. All right, folks. 
thank you very much for uh, for being here today. If you want to support the show, please hit that Rumble Plus button and share the show. That's the best way to support it. If you want to support me and help me keep doing this, get a subscription at uh, justhuman.substack.com. Everything I do is free. It'll always be free. But if you want to, what makes it actually possible is if you get a paid subscription. So that's the best way to support the show. Another way you can support the show is buymeacoffee.com slash justhuman. Or you can go to bensonhoneyfarms.com and use referral code justhuman. And then I got some new items in my merch store at redwhiteandbourbon45.com. All of those links are in the show's description if you're looking to um, help support what I do. Thank you guys very much. And thank you for um, putting up with my cough and my throat clearing today. I do apologize for it, but other than that, I feel great. And I'm happy to be doing the show regular again. I'm back on my schedule. I'll be live again Friday morning, um, probably about 10 pounds heavier from all the Thanksgiving food. And we'll have a great morning show. And uh, I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. Um, Stay positive. Spend quality time with family, and friends. And uh, remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Stay positive, guys. I'll see you.
I'm never gonna 